Zoom tries to move beyond video chat, and Lowe's does not hammer home a good quarter. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Deidre Ward, and I'm joined by Motley Fool analyst Bill Barker. How are you today, Bill? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, yesterday we got earnings from Zoom, and they seemed fairly solid. So revenue was up three percent. Enterprise revenue, which is uh, even more important, up thirteen percent. This company has been on such a ride, but um, is, does Zoom have its mojo back? I thought the earnings were good. The market maybe didn't think so quite as well. Well, uh, when you talk about the growth here and the ride here, it's uh, worth reflecting on just where things have come from. And back in fiscal fiscal year 2021, which ended in January, uh, so it was really the calendar year 2020 plus January, it was growing revenue at 325% a year. Followed that up, uh, and that was the main COVID year, of course, and then 54% the next year, 7% essentially last year. This year, we're looking at sort of flat top-line growth. Uh, so, not really, at the moment, a growth company. And I think that that is playing in, in part, uh, today's, to today's market reaction. Yeah, so it's kind of evolving from video chat. One of the things they talked about in the earnings was it's it's getting 10% of its revenue from Zoom phones. So, that's its cloud-based calling solution. Obviously, it's looking for things beyond video chat. Looking at both kind of new areas as well as you know some old ones here. It's, these are regular phone calls, cloud-based, but still phone calls. Is this just as you said? It's not as much a growth company anymore. So, is it just trying to find profits wherever it can and trying to restart that growth? Well, yeah, it's it's looking around. It's got a lot of competition from some of the biggest players that you can have uh, as competitors: uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, Cisco, Webex. Uh, it's really uh, you know surrounded on all sides by the success of its technology being easy enough for major players to duplicate and then integrate into their offerings in a way that. Really, it shuts down their their further growth. Uh, certainly, not the explosive growth that they enjoyed for a while there. So, in going into the sort of phone uh, elements and the call center work and things like that, the AI that they're touting—I don't know what exactly uh, gets thrown at call centers by AI. They've got some idea. I mean, it can't be a worse experience than it is today, can it? I mean. Uh, Maybe we need some artificial intelligence to uh, upgrade call center experience from the the nightmare that it regularly is to uh, something that you don't recognize as a nightmare. I don't I don't know if artificial intelligence can do that. Then it's done more than it's done anywhere else so far. Yeah, that does seem to be the thing. You know, Zoom uh, they laid off around fifty percent of fifteen percent of the company. They um, they've acquired Workivo. They're working with another company to build that AI assistant. Uh, I believe its name is Claude. It, with AI right now, every, every company seems to be mentioning it in in their earnings. When you're hearing AI, are you are you kind of leaning in and being like, yes, more? Or are you leaning out and being like, I don't know? In a lot of cases, it's a me too thing. Uh, yes, we also have AI, and we can think of ways to spend money on AI if that's what you want us to be doing. And 
so the, the it's not translating, of course, it's not translating immediately into earnings, and you can sort of push out uh, the earnings that you expect from the research and development spend there out to some point in the future, and and just sort of participate in what you hope is enthusiasm for mentioning the topic. Uh, but I think that they really, uh, for the stock, the, the floor here is to ignore the gap earnings and to look at uh, the adjusted earnings, which are above $4 a share for a $66 stock. So, trading at about 15 times adjusted earnings. But the gap earnings are nowhere, nowhere near that. They're, they're issuing a lot of stock. They've got other expenses that they would like you to ignore when they're talking about their adjusted earnings. So, until they actually start showing growth in some column, it could be earnings per share, it could be revenue, it could be something. But if they're not showing growth in any of those categories, they're not going to get they're not going to get priced like a growth company. And is this the case where they can can cut their way to growth, or does it have to come from somewhere else? Well, I think that they uh, over overhired, like many other companies, pretty much everybody in in the tech world did uh, during the, the COVID fever. So uh, they can definitely become more efficient. Uh, whether they can become enough more efficient at the same time that they are increasing spending on AI uh, in a way that pleases the market. I don't know. They haven't come up with anything that's pleased the market in a couple of years now. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. And so, so much of this quarter, the market's reaction has been about guidance. And Zoom, they, they raised theirs, but it wasn't quite what the market was looking for. Is there just too much pressure this quarter on, on having to raise guidance enough that the market feels optimistic about your company? Well, I think they're not even growing, and they're not projecting to grow as much as inflation. So, if your guidance is is saying let's ignore uh, the the currency translation and ignore a couple of other things, and when you do that, we're still talking about three to five percent top line guidance for the year. uh, That's less than where inflation is tracking right now. So. You know they're they're not giving a a story that is leading to a growth investor being excited about what they can guide to at the moment, and they're they're not providing the efficiency element of, of translating what is an impressive top line total into a really impressive bottom line total. So if Zoom isn't a growth company at this point. What is it? It is something that we remember being around and changing our lives during COVID. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? As a brand, uh, they are one of those companies where you you just talk about uh, you know the brand as as a verb uh, that I'm 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 going to be zooming later or something like that. Whether it's on Teams, whether it's it it, it explains uh, an experience which is uh, not entirely positive. I know that in the case of uh, some of my children, uh, they detest Zoom for what it did to their education uh, at the time, and they will never be fans of it. Through no fault of Zoom's own, Zoom was providing a great service that was necessary at the time, but it comes with costs. And the brand is not, I think, untouched by the time in which it exploded. So, during the pandemic, we spent a lot of time on Zoom. We also spent a lot of time at home, a lot of time fixing up our houses. 
doesn't look like we're doing that now. Lowe's, Lowe's sales were down, uh, comparable sales down 4% for the quarter. Is this just the spending cycle where people are spending more on travel and less on consumer discretionary, or is there something else going on with Lowe's? No, I don't think there's anything more than that going on with Lowe's. Uh, there were uh, a lot of home projects uh, initiated and completed in the last couple of years. There are always uh, additional things that are going wrong with a house that uh, can not be delayed uh, just because you don't feel like making that uh, uh, you know that expenditure right now. Everybody who wants to be going off on vacation, getting out of the house, those are the things where we're seeing the cyclical growth. Right now, housing. The houses uh, that people are in are, are a little bit better uh, taken care of now than they were a few years ago because of all the time spent in them. Uh, that cycle is has somewhat played out, and then you know then you've got uh, interest rates, which are not helping in terms of people upgrading their housing. No, the housing market is is pretty much stuck. And we saw the same thing with Home Depot's quarter. Uh, both companies talked about uh, lower prices in lumber. They talked about the weather. They talked about consumers spending less. Looking at Home Depot and Lowe's, they're kind of like the Co- the Coke and Pepsi of home improvement. When you look at Coke and Pepsi, they're kind of in two different paths right now. With Pepsi sort of having all of this other snack stuff, and and Coke still being mostly beverage. With Home Depot and Lowe's, are they coming closer together or farther apart? I think they're about uh, as close together as uh, any companies in a duopoly are. Uh, they're extremely uh, similar to the point uh, where they're occasionally uh, next to each other. And there are, and I was not aware of this until doing a little bit of research today, internet rumors that go back some time that uh, the origin of Home Depot and Lowe's was uh, a husband and wife who got divorced and uh, the 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 wife started her own company and and in sort of uh, none of which is true by the way but this is this is just something that gets out and gets checked out by Snopes and other uh, places that uh, quash uh, you know urban myths but that they're they're so similar that uh, their their paths could only be explained by uh, you know an intramarital situation. Uh, you can look up the rumor if you want. It's it's not true, but it it goes to just how proximate they often are to each other. Uh, they've got very very similar uh, sized stores, a reasonably similar number of stores. Home Depot's got a few more. Uh, a similar breakdown in what they devote to uh, home and garden. Uh, uh, square footage as compared to the the store uh, indoor experience. So I, I think they're they're pretty pretty similar. Interesting, because I was tempted to think of Home Depot as being more of the pro store and Lowe's as more of the sort of consumer friendly. But I think you're right that they're sort of going towards each other. I know Lowe's has spent a lot of money recently trying to get the pros interested, and Home Depot on the other side, they're spending more money on like building home improvement centers inside the store that are more friendly for selling appliances. So it does seem like they're they're kind of looking to get the other part of the business that they're missing. Yeah, Home Depot is uh, ahead on on the. Professional services side, and that's an area where Lowe's is going to want to improve, and so they become uh, more similar as time goes by. There are slightly different brands that are exclusive to Home Depot uh, versus Lowe's. Uh, those brands aren't going to change. Uh, you know, they're they're sort of locked in uh, to one store or another, depending on what 
brand of paint uh, you, you want. You're going to be in one store or another, or your uh, whoever is maybe helping you pick out the paints is, is going to be advising uh, certain certain colors that are done by a certain brand. The same is true of other uh, sort of tools that uh, you find in one versus the other. They just they become more and more similar over time. I believe. Interesting. I wanted to talk about one more company that uh, reported, which is Dick's Sporting Goods. They came in with sales over 3% uh, comparable sales. The youth sports business, that is somewhere where, where consumers are still spending money, apparently. Yeah, they're getting out of the house and uh, they're, they're playing more games, and kids are growing up and uh, growing into. Uh, you know, different sized uh, uniforms that they need, and and getting uh, running through uh, the equipment they have, and uh, sports is uh, you know something that people are are back to, and uh, along the way, Dix became sort of the unquestioned leader. There was a time, not too many years ago, maybe almost a decade ago, when there were significant. Uh, competitors uh, to Dick's, uh, Sports Authority, a number of other brand names, City Sports, the things that are just no longer around. And Dick's is competing more, I think, with uh, you know Amazon uh, for for those categories than any other chain uh, that you can really national sporting goods chains are just uh, not not in the business anymore. Yeah, interesting. So we're so so now we know we're not spending money on our houses, but we are still spending money on our kids and all of their uh, various sports gear. Thanks for your time today, Bill. Thank you. Think you know everything about Social Security? Robert Brokamp and Allison Southwick break down Social Security myths that may surprise you. Security reform is back in the news, and for good reason. The program is the biggest line item in the federal budget, accounting for almost 20% of Uncle Sam's outlays. Social Security is the foundation for most Americans' retirements. According to the Social Security Administration, the program provides 30% of retirees' income. Almost half of retirees rely on it for the majority of their income. Social Security is also in trouble. A decade from now, the program won't have enough money to pay 100% of benefits. But even if Social Security were fully funded, the program has another problem. It's complex, and the majority of Americans don't understand how it works. In a recent quiz of true-false questions created by MassMutual, 69% of participants either barely passed or failed. I took it and got a B, so that's kind of embarrassing. So yes, the complexity makes it hard to navigate Social Security, but other misunderstandings abound because of bad information found in political agenda talking points, partial truths, or folks just not keeping up with how the program's policies have evolved over time. Do you really need to understand the finer points of Social Security? Because I'm already bored of listening to myself here. But the answer is yes, because you could end up missing out on money. And I know you like money. So today, we're going to talk about five of the most common myths and misconceptions, henceforth known as myth conceptions, because Bro wrote the outline and is seeking revenge with me for some reason. So yes, five Myth conceptions <laughs> that I, I hate you, bro. That prevent Americans collectively and individually from maximizing Social Security. All right, bro, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's okay. go. Okay. 
You're just going to be, yeah, I, I'm glad this makes you happy. Okay. Miss, nope. Myth conception number one, social security is bankrupt. Yeah. The belief in this myth conception, see, it's not so hard to say. Um, it was confirmed last week in a survey from Northwestern Mutual, which found that 45% of respondents indicated they don't think social security will be there when they need it. But here's the deal. Social Security is mostly a pay-as-you-go program. So the taxes taken out of a worker's paycheck today become a retiree's benefit check tomorrow. Now, for decades, the taxes collected were higher than the benefits paid, and the excess went into these trust funds. However, that flow has reversed. Now the program relies on the trust funds to pay benefits in full. Unfortunately, the trust funds are currently projected to run dry in 2033, and at that point, taxes paid by workers will only be sufficient to pay 77% of scheduled benefits. So, even without changes, you'll still get you know, around three-fourths of your scheduled benefit. That stinks for those of us who will be in retirement by then, but it's not as gloomy and doomy as we're often led to believe. As long as there are workers paying payroll taxes, the program will still have money. All right. Myth conception number two, everything will work out. Right. So even though Social Security isn't bankrupt, a 23% benefit cut would still hurt. Right? There are many retirees who could not afford to have thousands of dollars less in income. So something needs to be done, and there's, there's really no painless solution. Taxes are going to have to be raised, benefits cut, the retirement age raised, or maybe a mixture of all three. Uh, let's just take a look at one aspect of the tax angle. So according to the recent Social Security Trustees report, the program would be fully funded if the payroll tax rose from the current 12.4% to 15.84%. Now, if you don't like that, we could consider raising the eligibility age. I mean, when you think about it, when Social Security was launched in the 1930s, you couldn't claim benefits until age 65. Back then, someone who reached that age lived, on average, another 14 years. But nowadays, 65-year-olds could expect to live another 20 years. So perhaps the age of Social Security eligibility should be indexed to life expectancy. And there are plenty of other tweaks that can be made. The American Academy of Actuaries recently released an interactive tool that illustrates the trade-offs. And if you want to play around with that, you can find it at actuary.org forward slash Social Security. But until our leaders in Washington figure this out, the safe assumption for workers in their 40s and younger, and, and maybe even early 50s, is that you'll get 75% of your projected benefit. All right, myth conception number three. You should claim as soon as possible before the program goes kaput. Yeah, the average Social Security claiming age has risen from 63 in 1998 to 65 in 2021. And this is good news, because the longer you wait, the bigger your benefit. That said, 65 is still probably too early for most people, because they're choosing a lower benefit instead of delaying until their full retirement age, which is 65 to 67, depending on the year you're born, or up until age 70, at which point delaying doesn't result in a bigger payout. And one of the reasons that beneficiaries give for claiming early is they feel that they have to get the money while they can and before the system collapses. But if there's any group that will likely be spared from benefit cuts, it's likely folks in their 60s and older. I have personally not seen any proposed fix to Social Security that would significantly reduce benefits for those near or in retirement. All right, myth conception number four, everyone should delay until 70. Various studies have shown that most people 
should hold off claiming Social Security until 70, or maybe close to it. There are circumstances that would warrant an earlier claiming strategy. And really, they're too numerous to go into detail on this podcast, but here are a few scenarios. So maybe you're claiming the spousal benefit, which doesn't increase beyond your full retirement age. You might have health issues that result in a below average life expectancy, or you might have minor or disabled children at home, and they will receive benefits when you begin to claim your benefits. So the right claiming strategy for you really does depend on your unique circumstances and earnings record, and that's why I can help to use tools to crunch your actual numbers and maybe illustrate the trade-offs. If you work with a financial advisor, they definitely have these tools, or you could start with OpenSocialSecurity.com, which has the benefit of being free, and there are a few other good tools out there that are pretty inexpensive. All right, myth conception number five: the claiming decision is irreversible. Yeah, when people hear about how the more you delay, the bigger benefit you get, and they've already claimed Social Security, they may think, oh no, I've already blown it. But there are a couple of situations where you might be able to do at least somewhat of a do-over. So One is, if you've been receiving benefits for less than 12 months, you can do what's called a withdrawal of application. Now, you have to pay back all the money you received, including any benefits your spouse and children received. But once you resume your benefits later, Social Security will pay you at whatever level you're eligible for. Uh, based on your age at the time. It's like you never claimed Social Security before. Now, the other option is only available if you've reached your full retirement age, but not yet 70. You can then request to have your retirement benefits suspended. The amount that you were receiving will then earn these delayed retirement credits. But while your payments are suspended, your spouse and children can't collect benefits based on your work record, and you can't claim benefits based on your spouse's work record. All right, bro. How about you bring us home with the uh, biggest final bonus myth conception about Social Security? Well, that is, regardless of the future of Social Security, it never was and it never will be a way to fund the retirement of your dreams, unless your dreams involve small living spaces and small portions. This year, the average annual retirement benefit from Social Security is just $21,900. We cannot and we never could really rely on Uncle Sam to make our golden years truly golden. So keep saving and keep investing so that you will be the person who's in control of your ability to retire. People on the program may have interest in the stock they talk about, and Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Deidre Willard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.